We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us, Lord, the, the amazing, amazing privilege to be able to pray. Lord, to you, the God, uh, the maker of all things, you created everything by the power of your word and you maintain our life and you know our thoughts and our hairs and when we sit and stand and Lord, you are so amazing and awesome and I thank you, Lord, that we can come and together as a church, Lord, ask for cleansing, Lord, ask that our church, when you scrutinize us with your eyes of omniscience, Lord, that you would you would be pleased, Lord, help us to be firm in the midst of persecution and faithful, Lord God, in the midst of perversity. And Lord, I ask that you bless your beautiful people that are here today. And I know, uh, Lord, our hearts are, um, Lord, excited about the uh, baby that's already uh, conceived. The, the life begins at the moment of conception, Lord, but uh, the day, uh, hopefully soon, Lord, is going to come. And we ask that you would just go before the Aguilars and Veronica and just everything would go well, Lord, and that there'd be no complications. And, uh, Lord, you uh, would do a mighty work there. Give doctors and nurses and everyone involved impeccable wisdom, Lord. And I also lift up Richard to you and his mom and asking, Lord, that you would minister to her. Lord, we know you're able to heal, Lord. And so to the very end, I, I think it's in our hearts to ask that you would speak words of healing over her life, because you are able, God. And, uh, but if that's not your will, if your will is to heal her on the other side of time, then we ask that you comfort hearts, Lord. We ask that you would uh, really prepare her for that, Lord. I, I don't know. I think she knows you, but Lord, but just in case we together pray that she would have a clear understanding of who Jesus is and the gospel and how if she puts her faith in Christ, she will be saved. And so, Lord, touch hearts and courage and do a mighty work, Lord, even today as we open up your word. And I pray, God, you would teach us and you would do a mighty work in every heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're, today we're in, in Second Thessalonians. If you have a Bible, we'll shoot on over there. Second Thessalonians, the Lord willing, today we're going to cover the entire chapter. And we just got done with First Thessalonians as we continue just teaching through the Bible. And, uh, you know, after receiving the first letter, the Thessalonians, I'm sure they were grateful. They were grateful for the words of Paul, but apparently didn't immediately solve all their problems, right? And so there was a second letter that was needed. Because after the first letter, uh, persecution continued. If you remember, you read the account in Acts chapter 17, the Jews became envious because so many people were getting saved. So many Gentiles were being touched. And so they uh, stirred up some opposition and they kind of kicked Paul out of the city. And so they went over to Berea, but these guys were so aggressive that they followed the Thessalonians into the next city, Berea, and they stirred up opposition there as well, and they kicked them out of Berea as well. That, that just gives you a little picture of what they were experiencing there 
in Thessalonica. It was, it was crazy persecution. So you get the first letter and the persecution continues. And to make matters worse, what ended up happening was um, someone wrote a letter and saying that it was from Paul, saying that, that the persecution they were experiencing was actually the Great Tribulation, period. And so the Thessalonians were, were confused. They're going through hard times. They're getting mistaught. Uh, people are misrepresenting Paul. And so uh, Paul found it necessary to write this letter to them. And, and we're going to go through it. Lord willing, it'll take about four or five weeks. But man, it's an awesome letter. Uh, it's powerful. And we're going to see today, uh, you know, basically a couple of things. Number one, you know, for us as Christians, you know, I don't know if you ever like, like to like to give a summary or a synopsis of what life is all about. Number one, you want to exalt God. Okay, exalt God. In everything you do, man, exalt God. And then number two, you want to edify the church. You want to build up the, the believers, teaching them the word and being an example to them. And, and then thirdly, you want to evangelize the lost. Those are the three things that our life is all about. Exalt God, edify the church, and evangelize the lost. And when you do that, you're going to see God, a man, he's going to bless your life. And we're going to see that even in today's chapter, those three things. Uh, so cool in seeing it. Uh, we're going to see in our teaching today, uh, primarily in chapter 1, the, the persecution that they're experiencing. Paul wants to encourage them in that. You know, life uh, is not easy sometimes, huh? I don't know about you, uh, but you guys go through trials, the tremendous trials. I mean, if you're not going through a trial right now, get ready because it's coming, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, Warren Wiersbe said this. He says, an easy life, however, can lead to a shallow life. See, and that's a thing that we really have to take to heart. I don't know about you, but I want an easy life. I really do. I want, like, to be healthy. Lord, I, I, I wouldn't mind being wealthy, Lord, you know, I... Uh, I want, you know, to be able to, you know, no, no drama, no turmoils, no opposition, no people who are weird in my life. I want everything easy. I think we all kind of want that. But remember that the easy life can lead to a shallow life. And I don't know about you, how many of you here, you want a deep life? Uh, I want to be real. I want to be uh, a, a Christian that, that is deep in his commitment and, and I, I know I want that, and so therefore, we're going to have to go through trials. It's kind of like, I don't know if you guys ever, uh, some of you that are older like me, you walk, you guys ever do the treadmill? You know, if you do the treadmill, uh, uh, I kind of like to do it where it's no incline. <laughs> You're like, hey, this is cool, man. <laughs> you know, but did you know that the, every percentage you incline it, you uh, you multiply the effectiveness of it. Did you guys know that? Like, if you're you're walking at zero, then you burn whatever I don't know, 100 calories in two miles. But if you incline it to two percent, then you just burnt uh, 200 calories. Three percent, 300 calories. You know, uh, that's the, the math, and, and that's kind of how it is. I think for us, you know, when you go through the trials, and your eyes are on the Lord. And you're, and you're taught well, and you know the, the biblical response, then you will grow. And when I talk about growing, I'm not talking about you know, being a, a religious, superficial person. I'm talking about being like Jesus. 
So we're going to see that in our text as we go through the, 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 this, this chapter. Hopefully we can get through the whole thing. We begin, first of all, however, with a greeting where we read in verse 1, Paul, uh, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have these three names mentioned in verse 1 uh, as to who the letter's from. And we read it there, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. If you know anything about these guys, you might want to call them the three Christian caballeros. Man, these guys are, are really cool. Um, we see that they ministered together in what we refer to as the second missionary journey of Paul when you study his life. Uh, Silvanus uh, is also known as Silas. He's first mentioned in Acts chapter 15, verse 22. He came from Jerusalem, and then he ministered with Paul in the city of Antioch, and after there, to the ends of the earth. And so a real, real neat guy. And then there's Timothy, who was Paul's son in the faith, saved through the first missionary journey, and then joining them, a team there on the second missionary journey. So you have Paul, Silas, and and then there's Timothy. Um, and we know Paul as the apostle, the writer of at least 13 books of the New Testament. Yeah, Paul was a pastor. Paul was a pastor's pastor. Paul was a missionary. Paul was an evangelist. And Paul was a great example of what a Christian is to be. Even though before he was a Christian, he was completely contrary to Christ. But on the road to Damascus, one day Jesus came into his life. He appeared to him and he saved him and he commissioned him to a life of service. And so these are the writers. And of course, it's helpful to know from a human perspective who wrote the book because, you know, we interpret it accordingly. But here's the thing before we get into it today. Just a simple reminder. It's most helpful to know that this is not from man, that this is God's word it's the Bible, not only the letter to the Thessalonian church, but the letter to all the church in all the world in all the time. This letter is a letter for us. And that's why I love studying the Bible, because this is for us, guys. And we're going to see as we learn it, as we take it to heart, you know, God does a great work in our life. You know, a little bit about the Thessalonian church. Again, they were planted on the second missionary journey and you can read the account over in the book of Acts 17, verses 1 through 10. And when you do, you're going to see the team was there for, think about this, only three weeks. But God did a, a great work. There was a tremendous amount of fruit. But wherever God does a work, what happens? The enemy does a counter work, right? You're going to experience opposition. And so the, there was so much opposition that they set the whole city in an uproar. And Paul was then forced to leave. But thankfully, in spite of the fact that it was such a short period of time, God established the church there, and God did a great work. You know, it was great opposition, but the thing is, they're going to be okay. You want to know why? Look again at our passage. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in, in, in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? They're going to be okay, man. Because they're not the church of the Thessalonians necessarily in Thessalonica. They're, they're in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, and, and although, you know, you're going through and you will go through hard times, it is imperative that you understand what the Bible teaches. It is imperative that you never forget who you are and who you're in. You're in God's family. You're in God's flock. You're in God's house. You're in God's heart. You're in God's hand. You're like a branch in God's vine, and you will bear fruit for his glory. You are constantly in his, in the Father's thoughts. And according to Jeremiah 29, so simple that as you, as you seek him with all your heart, you will find him, and God will bless your future with good. I, I pray you guys are encouraged by that, and I, and I pray you're encouraged by those words in verse 2 that Paul almost always begins his letters with, those two words that we see in verse 2, grace to you and peace, again, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love those words. How about you? I mean, I love the word grace. I, I need it in my life. I love the word peace. I, I cry out for peace. I long for it in my life. You know, uh, when you get a good grip on grace then you're going to be a person of peace. If you've truly turned from your sins and you've placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ who died for us on that day and then rose from the dead on the third day, then you get God's grace. You get God's grace. His undeserved forgiveness and freedom and favor forever and ever. You get God's grace over your life, his blessings, his bountiful, his beautiful blessings on your life forever and ever. Not in light of us, but in spite of us. That's the goodness of the glory of God. And when you understand the grace that you're in, then you will possess the peace that only comes from God. You don't have to worry about trying you don't have to worry about dying. You don't have to worry about, you know, going to heaven or hell as Christians. When you've been gripped by God's grace, you've made peace with God. And we should therefore have the peace of God. And I pray that you do, you guys. I, I pray that you have that assurance as you're abiding in Christ, um, that you have the peace. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever seen those bumper stickers. Have you ever seen those bumper stickers or... It's no Jesus, no peace. Have you guys just seen that? But then it says no Jesus, no peace. You're like, well, I come to church. It doesn't mean you know Jesus. Do you really know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, then you won't know peace. That's what you need. He's who you need. You need Jesus. But when you know Jesus, then you'll you'll know peace. I've seen the bumper stickers. It's kind of funny. You know, I don't know if you guys ever go online, but um if you go to the website uh notw.com, it stands for not of this world.com, you'll find all sorts of stuff on that website that say, you know, no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace. Uh, you'll find t-shirts, baseball caps, posters, phone covers, Lanyards, wristbands, computer bags, they even have neck, neck tags, you know, that say, 
no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace. It's interesting. And I think it would probably be good if we all had a bumper sticker. One day we'll all wear our T-shirt, right? <laughs> you know. But, you know, at the same time, remember, one day when we stand before God, He's not going to ask us if we got the T-shirt. Right? The issue will be, do you really know Him? Do you really know Jesus? Have you truly turned from your sins and trusted in Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? A simple, solid, saving, true, and total faith. Or are you playing games with God? I don't say that to offend anyone. I say that to save you. God can save you with that truth when you examine your life and you realize that this is not a superficial, habitual religion. That it is a relationship with Christ that is found in simply trusting Him. And when you know Him, you're going to know peace. And so that's the greeting And then we're going to see four things as we go through our chapter here today. Number one is the thanking. Number two is the boasting. Number three is the teaching. And then number four is the praying. Thanking. This is good for Thanksgiving, huh? This Thursday we have Thanksgiving. Look look what he says in verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Here we see Paul thanking God for them. Paul was thankful to God for them. And two things uh, really he touches on for as far as the specifics to the saints. Number one, he was thankful to God that their faith was growing, their faith grows exceedingly, and he was thankful to God for their love that was abounding. It was a love that was abounding toward each other. You know, one translation describes it as a flourishing faith, but really the Greek language, it speaks of a growing faith, even to increase beyond measure. You know, and Paul is so grateful that their faith was growing. You know, in reading this, you have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, is my faith growing? Right? I mean, if not, it should be. I pray that you guys would know that. You know, three times, uh, Jesus rebuked his disciples for having little faith. I don't know if you knew that or not. Matthew 8.26, Matthew 14.31, Matthew 16.8. He rebuked them for being doubters, for having little faith. I mean, you know, maybe little faith is okay in the beginning, but eventually you want to come to that place where your faith is growing, maybe even having one day, wouldn't it be great to have a great faith? And we read about that in the scriptures. Jesus commended the centurion, for example, for having great faith. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, he also commended the Syrophoenician woman as having great faith in Matthew 15, 28. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord commended you for having great faith? It's been said that faith is like a muscle, and your faith will grow as you exercise it. You know, when you exercise faith, you're going to see answered prayer. You're going to see 
the long-term benefits of obedience in spite of you know the way you feel or what the world is saying. You're going to see the wisdom of God's word. You're going to see miracles. When you exercise faith, you will see the glory of God. And so I pray that we would exercise faith. I pray that we would know the Bible because the Bible does say that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when you put the Bible into practice, then you will discover how awesome God is and how true is his word and your faith will grow. I pray that we would have a growing faith. I pray that we would have an abounding love. Paul was so thankful for their love. Uh, The Greek word here translated abounds. It it means to exist in abundance. It means to superabound. And and it's interesting to see how this is a direct answer to Paul's prayer. Watch, uh, just if you would, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. It'll probably only be one page. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. This is the first letter he wrote to them. And notice what he prays. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. You know, you can pray that prayer for whoever it is that, you know, you, the Lord lays on your heart. And, and he prayed that prayer for the Thessalonians. And it was so beautiful to see God answered that prayer. I mean, wouldn't it be beautiful to see someone grow in faith? Wouldn't it be beautiful to see someone grow in love, abounding in love, super abundance in love? That's what was going on in Thessalonian church. You know, yesterday I was so blessed by our event. We had uh, the M&M's get together. And M&M stands for movie, message, and a meal. And the movie, in case you guys haven't seen it, is way better than the movies that are out there in the theaters nowadays. You know, we go over there, and you know, it's cool. I'm not saying anything bad, but man, I'll tell you what. If you get a chance, check out the Veggie Tales, uh, Beauty and the Beat. Okay, you can rent it from iTunes, okay? And uh, it's a great movie. It's based on Beauty and the Beast, obviously, and and... Uh, when you see the movie, and I don't want to tell you the ending because it's just a great ending, but it was basically about uh, what do you do when someone's mean to you? What do you do when someone doesn't love you or at least you don't think they love you? And the movie was just saying First John four eleven over and over again that we're supposed to love them. And so I was telling the kids, you know, someone treats you mean, they're rude to you. They don't want to help you. They're not nice to you. They don't care about you. Um, then just love them. I tell the kids, first of all, talk to God. Secondly, talk to your parents. They need to do that just in case. But thirdly, you love them. And they're like, my brother? I got to love my brother? Yeah. Sister, cousins. The people on the other soccer team, you love them. See? And it was a beautiful message, so simple, and for us, so important. You know, how do we get to that place, I I think, of abounding love? Um, And I think uh, that happens when we allow God's love to sink in, right? 
I mean, when we allow God to love you, God loves me. No way, God can't love me. No one's ever loved me all my life. My dad never loved me. My mom never loved me. My brothers never loved me. My, and, you know, and we go, and, and sometimes we have to go through all those barriers, but you got to understand and come to the place that God does love you, in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. He loves us, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And, and when we realize God loves us, then it, it kind of sinks in. And then, believe it or not, it, it oozes out almost. The love of God is poured out into our hearts. And next thing you know, you know, people are people of love and, and joy. And, and they smile and they hug. And there's just something about them. And that's one thing, if I can just say this. And, you know, I know that we are filled with a church of beautiful people. But I'm so blessed. Um, well, I don't want to say it. I want to take him as reward. I'll, I'll talk about this another time. Maybe at our Christmas ministry dinner. But, you know, I'm blessed by people of love in my life, you know. And when God to love sinks in, then I, I think it actually goes out to others. And, and, the, and, the, and the movie was just about the fact that not only is it, is it good for us to love others because God told us to, um, not only is it good because it will change you when you just love by faith, but it's good because it will actually change them. The power of love is amazing. And so Paul here, he was thanking God for them um, because they had a faith that was growing and they had a love that was abounding. The second thing he did is kind of interesting, okay? He boasted about them. He boasted about them. Notice there in verse 4. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Paul said we boast of you to other churches. You know, imagine that. You go down the street, you go whatever to Berea, and you, and you, you, know, you boast about the church in Thessalonica, you know, they're such a blessing, man. Not because their their building's so beautiful or their budget or body is so big, because those are the things that we tend to boast about. No, it's not even their reaching or their teaching. It's not the open doors and opportunity for ministry. No, it was their maturity. Even though they were young Christians, there was a maturity about them because they were experiencing great difficulty, persecutions and tribulations and in spite of that, they didn't in any way give up or let up. They endured, the Bible says. They kept the faith and they clung to Christ. And that right there was just blew Paul away. And he boasted about them to other churches. You see, you guys, uh, and here's the thing. When we go through the hard times, when we go through the sufferings and the persecutions, it reveals who you are. We are not known uh, primarily by our words we are not known solely by our actions. We are really known by our reactions. That's why if you're here today and you're a single girl and you're you know, going to start dating some guy, you know, he'll, he'll put on the, the good charm or whatever. You know, he might spend some money on you, and, you, know, you. But it takes time to get to know them. Find out how they are in difficult situations. That's when you really get to know somebody. For example, here's uh, something. True test of servanthood is how do you act or how do you react 
when you're treated like a servant. See, that's when you discover whether or not they're really a servant. Or a true test of a love is how a person responds when they're unloved or when they think they're unloved. You see, our faith is revealed in the fire, in the furnace of affliction, in the path of persecution, in the times of tribulation. That's when we find out who we really are. And, you know, you have to ask yourself those questions. Will you stay strong even in the suffering? Will you be faith and firm even in the furnace? And will you stand? Here's a hard one. Will you stand even when you don't understand? You're like, well, I don't know. I don't get this. But I do know God. And that's where we need to be. A lot of people, what they do when they don't get it or they don't get their way, they split, they quit, that's enough when it gets rough. And it's just a revelation of who they really are. Who they really are. Paul said, I I can boast about that body in Thessalonica. Why? Because not only is their faith tested in those trying times, but here's the thing. Our, Our faith is validated in those trying times. You guys know this, right? If you study the Bible, you know that when Paul boasted about his ministry, and he he was forced to boast in 2 Corinthians because people were coming in and trying to kind of like, you know, stir the church in the wrong direction, people who were not called by Christ to lead that church. And so he had to boast about his apostleship. But when he did, he didn't boast the way that we would probably boast. He didn't say, well, I've planted 27 churches and you know 3 million people have been saved through this ministry uh, he didn't boast the way we would normally boast about you know the things that that we see he boasted about his sufferings he boasted about his afflictions right he spoke of his suffering due to the opposition of the enemy because the enemy will always go after those who are really truly making a difference. He didn't boast about the number of churches or the number of people or the number of books that he wrote that belonged in the Bible. And here's why, here's part of the reason why, and I think it's important for us to understand, God can use a donkey. You guys know that. I know that. I know that just because I'm a pastor, it doesn't mean I'm necessarily right with the Lord. I want to be right with the Lord. But I know that God can use a donkey, and we need to know that as well. No, the real test of faith is whether or not we'll stay true even in the dark and difficult days. And that's what we see really in our next verse, in verse 5. He says, Which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. You know, it's it's like the validation. You know, it's like the preparation. You guys know, and I've told you before, it's important to know that it's not just God preparing heaven for us. God is also preparing us for heaven. And one of his great tools is suffering, difficulties, opposition. And what we got to do is we got to stay focused on the Lord and let that suffering do its work. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so, you know, here we are today, and, you know, I'm preparing some of you younger people because as time progresses and it seems to be happening more and more rapidly, 
We are living in an anti-Christian country, a country that one day might be hostile to us as Christians, and you need to be ready for that. And so what ends up happening is you take a stand for the truth of the Bible, and what do people label you as? Judges, closed and simple-minded Christians, intolerant, haters, because we believe God's word and then they eventually begin to hate you and hate us because we go against the grain of a very ungodly world or because we don't lay down and let them have their way. And so that was going on. It was a validation of them being real. It was preparation for the kingdom. I pray we can identify with the Thessalonians who were firm in their faith in spite of the suffering they're experiencing. And so maybe one day someone might even thank God for us. Paul thanked God for them. Paul boasted to other churches about them. And here's one other thing, just as a side note and a practical thing regarding this section right here. What do you do... And when someone, you see someone actually doing good, I guess you can say, kind of making a difference. You know, one extreme is to thank them. Like, oh, I, I thank you for being so wonderful, right? Sometimes people are like that. That's kind of one extreme. The danger there is they might believe you. <laughs> and the danger is there is, and that in one sense, it kind of robs God of his glory, and so that's something that some people do. Another extreme is don't say anything. Oh, I don't want them to get prideful. I'm going to keep them humble. I'm not going to say anything to them, even though I appreciate the ministry that God is doing through their life. And so you have this extreme, and you have those on this side who are avoiding this extreme, and so they're not saying anything. But Paul here, I think, gives us a pretty beautiful biblical balance. I thank God for you. And I boast to other churches about you. And I'm telling you that I do. Because what that does is it encourages them to know that perhaps they are a vessel in the hands of God. And at the same time, it gives God all the glory. You see, so it's cool to see what Paul was doing here, thanking God for them, even boasting about them. But then, believe it or not, he actually begins his teaching now in, in verse 5 and 6, and all the way actually through verse 10, he's teaching them. And what he's going to teach them is about the righteous judgment of God. Notice again, if we start in verse 5, he says, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ." These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. And I think verse 3 and 4, they're words of encouragement. 
And I think they're helpful, but I think the teaching of God's word is even more helpful. And that's what he's doing now. As they're suffering, as they're going through persecution, he tells them, number one, I want you to know from a biblical perspective that that is actually a good sign, that it validates your ministry, it validates your sincerity, it it validates your Christianity. But number two, I want you to know that those people who are killing your children or those people who are putting those families into prison, those people who are mistreating and unjustly you know, doing these things to Christians, I want you to know one day God's going to deal with them. So, you know, it's not necessarily that we, we want God to deal with them. And I mean, I pray that they get saved. Uh, I, I pray that they would come to Christ. But it's important for us to know the way that life works, that one day there will be judgment, one day there will be justice. And that's what Jesus will bring when he comes. I can't wait for that day. You know, because what happens sometimes as Christians who don't really know is they can actually accuse God of being unjust because he allows so many things to happen on planet Earth. Have you seen what, you know, the rapes and, you know, the killings and the murders and the wars and the atrocities and, you know, the, you know, the Holocaust? And, and a lot of times people will think, well, if there is a good God, why would he allow such things to take place? And, you know, the, the bottom line is the end of the day, one day, every single one of those people and every single work that they've ever done, wicked and unrighteous, God will get, have them give an account for that. And if they don't come to Christ and it's not nailed to the cross, then all those things will be brought into account. And that's kind of what Paul is teaching here. It's important for us to know. You know, when you look at this section right here, it reminds me of the psalmist uh, in Psalm 73. He said, I don't get it, Lord. Why is it that these ungodly guys and gals are getting away with all their ungodliness? It almost seems like life is a better, life is easier at least if I wasn't a believer. And that's what Asaph thought, and that's what he was struggling with in Psalm 73. But then we read in Psalm 73, in verse 2, he says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You know, I don't get it, Lord. Can't you see their lavish lifestyles? Uh, Lord, can't you see the unbelieving, God-rejecting, rich and famous, all the glamour, the gold, the vacations, the positions, the possessions, and then when someone among them dies, the whole world cries, and here we are, believers, most of us don't have any of that. Lord, I'm struggling, because I'm suffering. And that's when Asaph said, I almost slipped, I almost stumbled, until he read about the righteous judgment of God and the justice of God upon all those people who have rejected God. Psalm 73, verse 16 and 17 says, When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. Until I went to church and I read the Bible, and I understood the way that things would end up. And again, it's not that we want them to be judged. No, we pray they come to Christ. But if they will all give an account for their moral and immoral wickedness, one day they will find themselves falling so short. 
Notice in verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay them. You know, God will repay them. Notice in verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Now the flaming fire is in reference to his holiness and his holy wrath, right? You know, and the just the judgment is simply justice. We read in verse 9 that these people shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. That's all those who don't know Christ. And this judgment is simply justice because it's kind of interesting. At the same time as he's talking about the judgment of the non-believer, he's talking about the salvation of the believer. It says right here that God will give rest to those who are troubled in verse 6 and then in verse 7. Now we don't see this now, but one day on that day, and really it's any day now, Jesus is going to come. He will be here and the one who came the first time as a lamb will come the second time as a lion. And the Savior will be the judge. The one who was crucified will on that day be glorified. And Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know that. You see, in our, in our chapter here, and there's so much there, but it's just simply because the fact that they did not receive or obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. They rejected it. And so Paul here, he's thanking. Paul here, he's boasting. Paul here, he's teaching. And then in closing, we see Paul here is praying. Look at verse 11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I love that, may be glorified in you and you in him, and according to the grace, there's that word again, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he closes here, um, and, and one person said, you know, kind of like it's an interesting balance, like I'm confident in God's work in your life, but at the same time, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that you would finish well. And I'm praying for you, like I mentioned earlier, that the three things, that, that, that you would exalt God, that you would edify the church by finishing the work and the purposes of your life, that you would evangelize the lost. I'm praying for you guys. I know you're going through hard times, but I'm praying for you. You know, lately, uh, I've been blessed... Uh, had a great vacation, you know, uh, painting and plumbing. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you what, the last day, because one day was painting, one day was plumbing, one day was cleaning the garage. The other day was beautiful. I got to spend the whole day with my wife on her birthday. But the last day, the plumbing day, that was, that was, a, that was a hard day for me. And you know how it is when you're plumbing, you break other things as you're plumbing. And so I was underneath the sink and... Because our house is like 50 years old and things are falling in, in my, on my eyes. And, and I'm just having a real difficult time turning this, uh, this uh, one part. I couldn't get the wrench in there. And it was one of those things where it would turn like maybe like a micromillimeter every half hour type of thing, right? But um, I, I, at the end of the day, when it was all said and done, I couldn't believe it. It, it, was, it was done. And I've and I, and I, and I got to tell you this, because I, I really believe this. 
I believe in the power of prayer. And, and I see the Lord doing a work in my life, although I wish it was greater and I wish it was deeper and I wish it was faster. But I see the Lord doing a work in my life. And I know this, that people are praying for me. I know this. I know what a difference it makes when people pray for you. And as Paul here closes this thing, he such a good example for us. You guys, don't ever underestimate the power of your prayers. As you're praying for you know, our, our president, uh, you're praying for our country, you're praying for your family, you're praying for the flock, you're praying for the city, just whatever it is, as the Lord leads you, and I pray you would be faithful in those prayers because I pray you would know what a difference they make. We saw earlier Paul prayed that they'd have more love, and boom, next thing you know, they're abounding in love. Lord, I pray. I pray that you would finish the work that you started in the church. And I know, even though it's hard and even though it's difficult at times, that God will hear your prayers and God will do a work. Man, that we would uh, congregationally and individually exalt God, that Jesus would be glorified us and, you know, us and Him, that, that we would evangelize the lost, that we would edify the church, that we would finish the work and the very purposes for our life. You see, that's what God wants. And he's going to do that work. I believe that. I'm confident in that. So keep praying, okay? Keep praying and let the Lord encourage you today uh, in his word. And so we're going to close. Mark, will you come up and, and, and close us in prayer, bro? And we'll have the musicians come up. Uh, we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, and I pray, Father, that you find us worthy in that time, Father, and I'm confident that you will, Father, because of it, it's of your grace and your compassion that we are found worthy, Father. It's not of our own righteousness, but uh, that imputed righteousness, that righteousness that comes from the blood on the cross, the blood that was spilled, the blood of Christ, Father, that just forgives us of all our sins and covers all our iniquities, Father. I just pray, Father, that we live in a manner that uh, gives you honor and gives you thanks with a heart of, of love and gratefulness towards all those things you've done for us, Father. I just pray that you uh, bless your people, Father. Lift them up constantly close to your heart and remind them, Father, that you are our Father and that you are attentive to each and every one of our thoughts, each and every one of our feelings, Father. Just work within us, Father, so we can work through you in the world, Father, and just bless those who need to know of you, Father. I just ask you all these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte, at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.